0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Core Consult Rx Podcast. My name is
1: Mike Corvino,
0: with me as always, Cole Swanson. How's everybody doing out in podcast world?
1: Cole, how are you doing, man? Doing great. Excited to be here on a wonderful Tuesday.
0: Yes, it is nice.
1: Kind of wish I was kayaking, though.
0: Yeah, it's nice outside. Yes.
1: It's good weather. I know. The weather really affects my mood, I think, which is why I always bring it up at the beginning of podcasts, but... Mm-hmm. Nothing else to say. It's so. good to know. Yeah, got a little insight. Keep that on in you. mind. Yeah, <laughs> right, those do. rainy days, I'm gonna be like, man, I don't yeah. feel like podcasting today.
0: But we're gonna do it anyway because <laughs> we need content. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> so yes, it is May, and everyone, according to social media, anyway, is getting ready for graduation. It's about that time. It's pretty cool to see everyone in their uh, different colored wizard Harry, wizard robes. Wizard robes yep. Harry yeah, Harry Potter costumes. Everybody's got their Different stripes on Depending on what kind Of doctorate they have Which mm-hmm. is cool
1: Yeah I think ours is like Pharmacy is like A green-ish It's like vomit green <laughs> Kind of like your shirt Actually Yeah That's why I wore it <laughs> Exactly
0: Yeah it says Vomit green color Which is nice Yeah I, uh, I'm i not really sure Why we have That color or I don't know who was in charge Of that Yeah but.
1: med school Gets like this nice It's like an emerald green Almost like the green screen Over there in the corner and yeah. Very I don't know Appealing to the eyes And we've mm-hmm. got Ours is like green, and there might even be like a little bit of like mustard yellow or snot yellow type thing on there. So,
0: who, who's got blue? Isn't something of like
1: bright blue? Is that yeah. like PhD of some sort? It might be. I can't remember. I'm not sure. I'll find out in a couple of weeks.
0: I do want to know. Because I've seen some people, you know, when the professors come up and they have this big ceremony and the professors walk in, I've seen some of them, they get these really awesome hats.
1: Oh, yeah? I want to know how to get
0: one of those. What kind
1: of... What do you, what do you mean? I
0: would have to show you. It looks like a combination of, like, the Pope's hat oh, and, yeah. like, a chef's hat. <laughs> and I don't really know what that signifies. Abe Lincoln's yeah. hat, just all together? Oh, man. It's impressive. So
1: it's tall. Is it is it, like, poofy? Yeah. I some of them
0: are pretty poofy. It looks like something that belongs in a cat in the hat now, like, type situation, but... Yeah. It's on the guy's head,
1: and he's wearing it seriously. I don't know. I guess you have to be important for uh, for that, though. Yeah, I've never
0: seen like how you get one of those hats, but I'm in the market. So if anybody knows,
1: I'll just wear one to graduation, just cause. That would be awesome. Yeah, They'd be like, take that off.
0: It'd be like super insulting. <laughs> Somebody would be like way upset about that. <laughs> take the hat way too seriously. Yeah. I think you should definitely do that. Yeah, I thought about. Uh, when We went to my brother's graduation for his uh, associates. When he's, he's did the whole high school and college credit at the same time? So I we went to his like associate degree mm-hmm. um, graduation, and uh, I was telling my my middle brother, I was like, I should have worn my, should have worn my doctor so people knew what I was about. Just sat <laughs> sat in the audience, just with sat your in the audience into the coliseum. There's thousands of people there. It had no big deal.
1: And then after everybody walks, you should just get up and then walk across the stage and be like, woo.
0: People thought I had mental illness instead <laughs> of actually being for serious. Anyways, so
1: there's a point to that, right? Yes. So
0: (laughs) what we're going to do today, a little bit different than we normally do. Um, We're going to talk kind of a little bit, just some more of an opinion, I guess, on uh, what you should do at this point. If you're graduating or if you're about to start rotations, you know, kind of thinking forward and where everything is going from here. We're going to give kind of our points of view based on our own personal experience. So these are by no means set in stone these are just completely our opinions on you know where you should be going or what you should be looking at or what goals you should have um, kind of from this point
1: yeah and not just for pharmacy students but pretty much anyone who is no longer strictly a learner so even if you're going to residency you are in some sense a learner still but you're practicing at the level of your degree at the same time so still you're going to have to keep up with information yeah and and I would
0: definitely argue and I've said this a lot like on social media and all that but you know i would say that if you're in the medical profession that you have basically signed up to be a student for the rest of your life yeah. i mean there's no way with how quickly things are changing that you can just say okay i'm done i did my time which there
1: are people who do but if there you want are. to practice at the highest level of your license then yeah you're going to be a lifelong learner basically
0: yeah so you know let's uh I guess jump into. Oh, and just in case that sounds boring to you, and you're gonna turn off. We are gonna go through. Oh yes, there's something I'll, else. I'll let we'll you know. Do. Yeah, table of contents. So we will go back through uh, some of the lipid guidelines and also some of the clinical trials that are uh, relevant to dyslipidemia. And, and statins in particular. Yeah. So we're going to go through all that, and that way uh, you don't feel like you were totally gypped, and if this doesn't apply to you necessarily, yeah. it and probably teaser, does.
1: We'll but, talk a little bit about myopathies and just mm-hmm. how relevant those are, and maybe even touch on CoQ10, what statins are higher risk for myopathies, because you know that's the probably the big number one question or issue you get from patients when you're starting them or continuing them on a statin, so we'll talk yeah. about that
0: so don't touch the dial yes or whatever else it is 1950 now
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: they may have a dial you don't know them i
1: guess if you're in a car it's a, yeah. a volume dial yeah whatever it is
0: yeah all
1: right so
0: cole what's uh
1: don't touch that aux cord yeah yeah an aux cord Who doesn't use, use those don't stuff. touch that bluetooth uh, thank you yeah. i was like it's
0: 2018
1: <laughs> don't don't be dude i've still got the um i still got the the tape cassette thing that you stick into the and it's got the no it's don't. got oh yeah it's got the line on it with the cord the plugs in the phone nice 10 bucks from walmart classic oh yeah, oh, yeah. the cassette player 99 jeep grand Cherokee laredo <sighs> that's what i got <laughs> i'm a student man sometimes doing it big over here yeah
0: all right. So, what uh, I, do you want to start off? I mean, what what are your kind of thoughts going forward? What have you seen that's worked for you so far? Obviously, you're um, haven't even. Oh, officially, yeah, I've been out of school forever. so Yeah, I'm, I'm haven't even officially uh, graduated necessarily, but I'm done with you know the didactic and the rotation part of school, just waiting to walk. So, what has what is your game plan? I guess going forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, I tried to during rotations consider what I'm going to do going forward. And I'm sure y'all have heard statistics like this, but especially in pharmacy in particular, after five years, they say that like 75% of the information is outdated or irrelevant. I think that might be a little overstated. All of the foundational knowledge that you have is going to continue to be the same. It's not really going to change, but a lot of it will fall out of your brain. It's just kind of how it works. And you're going to get into the mindset of whatever job you're in, and you're going to kind of be laser focused on that. Now, the drugs and uh, treatment therapies, new clinical trials, all of that is going to change and become updated as the years go on. What I'm going to kind of try to do is say, okay, what did I do to stay up to date during rotations and try to follow that um, path going forward with my job? So, one thing is obviously emails and things. We'll talk about that. It's probably the easiest way I stay up to date on what new drugs are coming out and even what new clinical trials and just try to do a little bit every day. And I think you could speak a little bit more to some specifics on that too.
0: Yeah. And I did put a post on Instagram a few nights ago uh, with, I think I had four or five um, different websites you could subscribe to for free that I personally use and definitely recommend to students and new grads and anybody else who's trying to stay current with information. Um, where they, they you pick what type of topics uh, interest you or correlate with whatever kind of practice setting you're in or you know just in general you want to learn more about. And uh, they will send you new literature, uh, drug updates, new clinical trials that are in the works, new drugs that are um, being investigated, whatever it is. Um, they will send those to your email. So it's very, very simple to kind of look through that, see what applies to you or what you want to learn more about, and then you can kind of dive a little deeper. Um, you know, one thing that I think is super, super important, and I think Cole did this very well is just from kind of seeing him from the starting process of starting fourth year and kind of going all the way through, um, it, and so this really applies to any of you who are, you know, getting ready to start rotations or just recently started rotations. You know, I think that keeping in mind, you know, even if you're in a practice setting for a rotation that has nothing to do with what you're going to you think you're going to do as a career, it's still super important that you go 100%. Um, one of the things I always recommend for students that I'm talking with that are, you know, first year, second year, um, third year prepping for rotations is pick rotations and look at every single one of them as like a potential job interview. Yeah. Um, you, you go into the setting, even if it's something you think you will never, ever actually do in practice, you know, you have no idea what kind of people you'll meet, What kind of uh, influence, you know, your work ethic or whatever it may be uh, may have on somebody else? Uh, What kind of uh, impact, you know, you working to a certain level may have on your career um, very indirectly? Uh, It's just, it's too, there's too many things that can happen. Um, Too many people know too many other people that you may not think about um, that can open doors um, for you not to take advantage of that. And so, You know, one of the things I always think about is, you know, one of the things I noticed about Cole, and I'll just give him some props since he's obviously sitting here, because when he first started rotation with me, I I didn't know who he was. I'd never really worked with him or met him or anything. And, um, you know, he started rotation. And and one of the things that I have, I make all the students that come on rotation with me is I have them work, you know, usually 14, 15 hour shifts, kind of see how they respond and make sure that, you know, they realize that one, they can actually do it and survive people think that this shift that long is just way too much when in reality you have physicians, residents that are working 36 hour shifts. Yep. So, you know, a 14 hour shift is really nothing in the grand scheme of what it could be. Um, and so I, I'd show them that one that you don't, an eight hour shift is nothing. You can definitely push yourself further than that. And um, also to, just to kind of see what kind of attitude they have just in general towards it, whether it's positive, whether it starts to get negative when they get tired, you know, what have you. Um, you know, so, one of the things I noticed obviously about Cole was that he had a really good attitude, but also like he never kept, like never decreased the amount he was actually pushing. Um, and so he he would always be trying to get after it. You know, if if it was like MTM cases, like he set the record, him and uh, the girl, the Stacy was who he was working with. Um, she, her and Cole were working as a team on some MTM and they definitely set the record for, uh, amount of claims building oh, one yeah. day after all, you,
1: all you had to do was tell us that there was a record and I was like okay what, it's what's, over now and
0: what's funny is I asked Stacy about it and um you know she's definitely a go-getter super super smart and like uh, she was saying that she had asked you I guess about going on lunch or something like that and she's like he wouldn't really respond he was like on a mission <laughs> it's
1: it's like <laughs> what are you talking about there's a record to beat today
0: and, and I definitely told him that they wouldn't beat the record just on a time basis and uh yeah, they proved me wrong. So that was good. That was uh, my first kind of glimpse at his work ethic and mindset. And so, you know, when I started in the core consult stuff, I had so many people that, you know, I I think are great students. I think they're going to be great pharmacists, whatever, telling me that I want to help. I want to do this. I want to do that. But, you know, real life gets in the way. Everybody is busy with responsibilities and family and what have you. And Cole's really the only one that was like, still all on board even after rotation you know he'd already gotten his a didn't need uh didn't need me for anything as far as that goes and uh but still kept coming back and like kept uh helping with stuff and it really was an asset so like when i needed to bring in a co-host for a podcast it was like no brainer and um you know when we started this up and it's been been awesome ever since but it's because he's got that mindset of you know I, i'm pretty sure when you started my rotation podcasting is not on the radar for no. you. <laughs> and uh, last you know,
1: thing on my mind when I'm starting my first rotation ever is okay. I really need to get to know this preceptor so we can do a podcast later. Yeah, on.
0: and you know it's one of those things that you know, for at least for me, it's been been a good experience. I'm assuming
1: since he keeps no, coming back every week. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> and, uh, I, I look forward to it every time we do a podcast. So it's great.
0: And so you know, it's just some, like you just never know what's going to open. Um, him and I are now going to be working together with. Uh, diabetes education program for the city so he's going to be one of our newest diabetes educators uh and that's you know all that stuff stems from what you do on rotation if he come in and just done the bare minimum or just not had a get attitude at some point or i mean honestly i wouldn't have any ill will towards him but i probably wouldn't be jumping in an opportunity to try to help him when he graduates hey, you want to co-host my podcast yeah, slacker exactly we'll probably film one episode a year <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, I just think that you have to play in mind, like, and it also really depends on your ambitions. I mean, there, there are some people whose their ambition is to make enough to live comfortably and you want to be on a couple different softball teams and go to trivia night and all that. And I have, you know, if you're happy and you're enjoying your life, enjoying the family life and whatever, respect. Uh, no, no judgment whatsoever. I don't ever expect anyone to try to go out and conquer the world if that's not their mentality. But if you have the mentality of you want to go out, you want to make a name for yourself, you want to really get a career established that is going to be growing and, and getting stronger as you move forward, yeah, I definitely think that every single rotation you need to look at as an opportunity to, to really network in real time and, and develop a name for yourself.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, I have priorities and you just have to figure out where your job or your career or whatever fits into your priorities with your family, your faith, or whatever it is. Uh, but another thing that I think is good to consider is when you're a student, what is your mindset like? So you're, you're learning, you're pushing every day a lot of people to get this A, or even some people so they can be a good, good clinician or provider, uh, but a lot of it's a competitive nature to get that grade. And so maybe even, I mean, I know once you graduate, it's like, oh, great, no more grades, not to worry about that anymore, but create something for yourself to push you to continue to learn whatever that might be, whether it's, okay, so I'm going to go and get this new certification or this new board certification or whatever it is in a few years. So I'm going to start studying now and that motivates you to continue to learn a little bit every day, whatever it is. I mean, I think that's really good for community pharmacists because there's a lot of things that we can get and some people are like, oh yeah, those are useless, but at least it's a learning opportunity and something that could better your practice or further your career down the road. Who knows? So whatever motivates you after school, when you don't have an institution motivating you by grades, you have to create those for yourself. So just consider what those might be going forward.
0: In in one thing, I always consider too. There there are so many different uh, you know learning opportunities or whatever they may come along that you may think have nothing to do with your current setting. I'm actually a a really big fan of, of going after those in in particular, um, and the reason for that is because. E- You know, you really just never know what's coming around the corner or what opportunity is going to open up or when, you know, an opportunity is going to maybe open up that you wish you were more prepared for, but you're not because you didn't take advantage of some of these opportunities that come along. And um, as far as, you know, learning and continuing education, you know, like like I went to a um, symposium on infectious disease, specifically targeting HIV and hep C treatments that has absolutely nothing to do with my, with my, uh, current, you know, career path. But, you know, I, I do a little bit with, with, uh, dispensing of HIV meds. And so I was like, well, if nothing else. I'll, I'll go learn something new. I don't really know anybody. Hep C basically just the hour I learned in pharmacotherapy <laughs> and that was about it. So, you know, I, I really wanted to go kind of see what was up with that. And so I paid the money to go to this conference and, you know, from there. I ended up meeting a a drug rep for one of the real big um, pharmaceutical companies that deals a lot with some of the new um, HIV meds and hep C meds. And um, ended up from there, you know, running back into him again and uh, him inviting me to come to one of their drug rep dinners. It was actually a lot smaller than I thought it was. I think it was only supposed to be for infectious disease providers. Oh, really? uh, Yeah, and I was just
1: like, oops. Yeah, well, (laughs) he
0: invited me to come and he knew I wasn't, you know, directly – he knew I was a pharmacist and dispensing and all that, so... But I had, I had worked with him one time to get uh, Genvoya um, approved, and uh, the patient was normally getting mail order, couldn't get it, and so whenever they... Uh, I worked with him with the coupon code and all that, they had like this one-time override and got it basically a $4,000 med and covered for free for the patient, so he didn't have to skip therapy. Not bad. Um, so it was, you know, good for the patient, um, helped us work together again outside of that symposium, and then... Um, like I said, he invited me to come to his dinner, and so I got to meet a bunch of uh, infectious disease providers there. I think I've been like five times now really? <laughs> to different dinners. Um, yeah, because you came. Oh yeah, I came to one of those, and it was HIV too. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so uh, I didn't have any idea what they were talking about. I know now though, because I have to learn it for the naplex. But and um,
0: yeah, I forgot you were with me at that. That was on rotation, but yeah. yeah. got invited back. That was a good and meal. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> it was awesome. And I remember uh, we were sitting. I think it was the one. No, it wasn't the one you were with, I don't think. But there was one that um, I went to where I was talking to this guy, and he was he was actually originally a pharmacist, and now he was more on the science, pharmacology side of things, um, the research side. And he was presenting, and he was talking about this conference he was presenting at, and I asked him where it was because I hadn't heard of it. And apparently, it's a huge conference that everyone in infectious disease knows about. But he's like, oh, it's in Paris, and I remember thinking, like, oh, man. I'm, like, way out of my class right now. (laughs) I've never been asked to speak in Paris even once. And uh, so you know, it's just I get getting to meet all these people, have you know, he gave me his email address and asked me if you know if I ever need anything to contact him. I've met some infectious disease physicians and got to network with all these people now, gotten great food and got to have let my former former students hang out with us and meet some of those people, all based on going to this symposium. Like if mm-hmm. I hadn't just showed up that day, never would have happened. And you just never know. And and I've some of you have talked to me before have heard that story. And I always just say because you know you just never know what's coming around the corner and so i always look at every single opportunity you know within reason to to jump on it and just see what happens because what's the worst that could happen you waste an afternoon right you know waste waste uh, 75 bucks to get into a conference or something yeah. you know there's worse worse things could happen to you yeah but
1: 75 bucks means more to some people than others
0: well yeah i'm <laughs> i was a pharmacist at the time so i wasn't like a student or anything so uh-huh. it's a little bit easier so good write-off
1: oh, yeah. so otherwise as far as staying up to date i like drugs.com is mm-hmm. good for me and i also use that mcmaster um thingy that i don't know too much about because i just set it up once but i get Evans alerts, alerts yeah. yeah i get the emails now so that's very helpful yeah i
0: have the link on the instagram post um the whole website to go to and then you can register for a free account and they'll send you the Emails every night if you want them to.
1: Yeah. And also, FDA MedWatch. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, wait. That's a little bit different. MedWatch is like the um, adverse events log. Yeah. FDA, um, I'll look on the FDA's website for new drug updates, and they'll also send a little summary of the major clinical trials that got that drug approved. And that's really helpful to me, too. Those are the main ones that I use. And of course, you know, whatever Mike posts, I keep up with. So. <laughs> yeah.
0: Instagram. <laughs> um, Medscape is another one I use yeah. that's free that you can. uh get some good email updates for them. Um, They, what else? Uh, Fierce Pharma is a good one. Uh, If you're interested in industry or looking at what some of the big pharmaceutical companies are up to, Fierce Pharma is a really good one. Same thing, you can get updates sent to your your email. And yeah, I think that uh, social media is going to become a lot bigger of a player as we move forward. I think that more and more uh, clinicians and people that are, very educated and very knowledgeable. We'll start posting things on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Alexa, things like that. And I think it'll be a much bigger role in our continuing education as the years kind of move forward.
1: Yeah, figure out what what works for you. And a yeah. lot of people use social media, so why not use it to keep learning? Absolutely.
0: But yeah, that's uh, you know just some things to kind of think about moving forward. Um, you know, the other thing is don't be afraid to to volunteer your time. I will say that that's one of the biggest things that's helped me. You know, I think that we get fancy whenever we get licensed, and <laughs> we think that uh, w- we forget kind of what we did in the beginning to get us to where we're at. Um, you know, we forget about those steps, and one of those steps, we actually paid to work. paid a lot of money. A
1: lot of money to, to work.
0: To work a whole bunch of hours during rotations, and then like when we get licensed, we have this piece of paper that says we know stuff, all of a sudden, we're like too fancy to volunteer our time because we're just too important. And you hear people say that, you know, like, go, oh, well, I'm not going to, my time's too valuable and I'm not going to, you know, work for free somewhere where I should be paid $100 an hour or, you know, whatever they think they're worth. That's such short term thinking. And by proving your worth, because nobody, really owes you anything just because of a piece of paper and there's so many people out there that look just like you or you know, maybe better than you um, and I'm speaking to me and you know Cole too I'm not saying by any means I'm above <laughs> that there's plenty of people that are way more qualified for a whole bunch more <laughs> stuff than me but um, you know that if you if you prove your worth though and you really feel like you have something to show and bring to the table then then volunteer somewhere volunteer to clinic go in and show like your worth at a place like that you'd be really surprised and how open they are to giving you some opportunities, and then if you do prove that worth and you show your abilities a hundred percent, you will be, you'll open up more doors than you think. It may not be all of them, and some people may say, "Okay, well, still don't have a spot for you." See you later. But then again, what did you really waste? You got some experience. You met some people. Tried something. Helped some people out. Helped some people out. If nothing else, yeah, it, it's just one of those things. You just have to have to think long term, especially. If your ambition is bigger than just kind of doing the normal route, and if you want to make a name for yourself, you really, really, really got to start thinking outside the box of how you're going to network and, and increase your uh, ability to, you know, sell yourself. I guess market yourself as a provider or whatever you're, you're practicing as. Agreed. But um, yes, so that's just kind of my two cents cool. going forward. Graduates,
1: um, You just got your commencement speech from Mike Corvino and Cole Swanson. There you go. You don't even need to go to graduation now. Yeah. It's You're really taken care of. I've heard it's overrated. <laughs> yeah, cause you, you didn't go. Yeah, so. yeah, I was busy. <laughs> so, uh,
0: yeah, I, I. that's a whole separate story. I just I cannot get myself to stand up there and walk across <laughs> the stage. And I know that's like really counter to what most people think and everybody wants to revel in that but for me that was just kind of me and my wife were actually talking about this the other day but we kind of saw graduation as really just a because she, she didn't go to graduation either actually not i say that she went to the, we both went to the hooding ceremony she graduated the year before me but neither one of us went to actual graduation and i think it partly it was because like we didn't really see that as like i guess the finish line so to speak like we saw getting our pharmacist degree is like just barely tipping the iceberg and you know, really the finish line or the, uh, starting point of like what really starts to kind of happen. And so for us, I was just more excited to get on with it and let's get to work. And now the fun begins kind of thing. Cause now. now I can actually do something. Now I got this piece, piece of paper that says I know stuff, <laughs> which is vital. <laughs> right. Got and, up, uh... uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. That's just my, our personal take. Most people would disagree with that, but just what we word word for us. Plus, we were, were nice and cool in an air conditioned house <laughs> instead of being out with those thousands of people from all the different colleges <laughs> graduating. Outside, oh, yeah. that would be miserable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, so cool. Um, we'd be very curious too, to get anyone's opinion or strategies moving forward. Um, so feel free to, you know, hit us up on social media and let us know if you have a, uh, any suggestions going forward, you know, and, or if you have plans or some new um, innovative way that you're going to try to market yourself or get some more experience or whatever the case may be, and we'd love to share that with people and um, you know hear about it ourselves too. So let us know, uh, you know. Any social media platform, email, whatever you want to do, we'd like to hear about it. So we want to do. You want to jump into statins? Jump into statins. All right, I'll let you take it away.
1: Yeah, so we're not going to talk about all of dyslipidemia therapy. We're going to focus on statins because they are the primary form of dyslipidemia therapy. Uh, So statins, we obviously have a few of them. Most people are familiar with atorvastatin and rosuvastatin because those are the high-intensity statins, but there are others, um, and they would be fluvastatin, lovastatin, patavastatin, and simvastatin. So a lot of people are also familiar with simvastatin because it's one of the older ones that has a lot of good data behind it. Most of those are either moderate or low intensity. So how does a statin work? So it's an HMG coenzyme A reductase inhibitor basically in the cascade of cholesterol synthesis from acetyl coenzyme A that needs HMG coa to um, metabolize it or break it down basically to form cholesterol and it just kind of stops that so you can't form as much cholesterol. And those are the the main ones that we see. They're very potent as far as LDL lowering goes. The only thing that is potentially more potent would be the new PCSK9 inhibitors, which I think we could probably do a whole podcast on at some point too, but those are injectable. Right now, statins are really the mainstay of therapy, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And they have some different characteristics. So as far as side effects that we think of, there's not too many common ones you you know you want to monitor hepatic enzymes and even look at renal dysfunction potentially but the big one that most people complain about that you're going to hear from your patients a lot is going to be the muscle pain myopathies myositis whatever you want to call it and it can be a concern but it tends to be a little more overblown than what we might think right
0: yeah big time um i think uh i can't quote the exact statistics but I want to say that they, they say around three-fourths or so of patients who think that they're statin-tolerant um, actually can, in fact, take a statin yeah. if we do some minor changes.
1: Yeah. I mean, if if you look at the actual rates in the clinical trial, so for simvastatin, for instance, large clinical trial, at 20 milligrams, the, the rates of myositis or myopathy, whatever you want to call it, they are actually slightly different, but basically the same thing, was about 0.02% of the patients. At 40 milligrams, 0.07% of the patients. And 80 milligrams, which we don't even uh, recommend anymore for uh, simvastatin, unless you were stable on it for over a year and all that kind of stuff, was only 0.3%. So extremely low, and it's extremely rare. Uh, But for patients, especially if they've been warned about it, a lot of times it can be a psychosomatic thing. Or maybe they really are experiencing it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you just stop the statin, stop statins altogether for sure. But you may not even have to switch that statin over at this point yet. And some, they have differing um, characteristics. Some are high risk and some are lower risk, right? Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, real quick, too, just to mention, because you brought up Simvastatin, mm-hmm. um, the 80 milligram dose, um, the reason why we don't see a uh people being started on 80, or we shouldn't see it, i should say um patients being started on simvastatin 80 milligrams is because of the search trial um showed no benefit and potential harm when you're going up to 80 milligrams as opposed to 40. right so uh keep that in mind so like cole said unless you're already stable on it you've been on it then you can stay on it but do not start any new patients on uh simva 80.
1: yep And I meant to mention lipid lowering that you could expect. So within the statin groups, it's obviously going to vary. It's about 20 to 60% LDL lowering. You could expect about a 5 to 10% increase in HDL. And even triglycerides are going to lower about 10 to 33%. For LDL, nothing really beats it, like I said, except PCSK9s. You could see 38 to 72%. And while other uh, anti, or I should say other medications target triglycerides and can be a little bit better, you're still going to see a good decrease in triglycerides with the statins. So most of the time, you don't have to be too worried about adding something else on to really target triglycerides, even though it is done pretty frequently.
0: Right. And it's pretty, one of the things as far as remembering, as far as how much, um, of a of a dose will have an impact on the LDL lowering, or how how much more LDL lowering you can expect. Um, there's something called uh, the rule of six, um, which says that basically uh, every doubling of a statin dose, um, and this is completely an average, um, but you can expect a further six percent reduction in LDL. So if you're going off of guidelines that say that you should be at a certain level. Um, certain LDL level depending on your risk, then you know you know if you're a Torvacetin 20 by going up to 40 or 80, then you can kind of um, compound the LDL uh, reduction based on the rule of sixes. So each doubling is 6% reduction in LDL. Yeah, good um, way to remember. Do you, uh, did you already talk about hydrophilic versus lipophilic? No. So um, one of the things that to keep in mind, and there's a good meta-analysis that kind of backs this up. Um, is to think about the actual, um, I guess, uh, chemical makeup of the the statin itself and how that may play a role um, in the occurrence of myopathies. Um, So whether or not the statin is considered hydrophilic or lipophilic is is definitely important. Um, The lipophilic statins, um, those are going to be ones that are obviously going to get into the tissue a little bit more readily and could, in theory, cause more... uh, um, chances of having myalgias, um, the hydro, the hydrophilic statins, um, not, not as much. And so, uh, rosuvastatin and provostatin are the two that, um, we think about as being hydrophilic statins. And we do technically see, according to that meta-analysis anyway, see less, um, myalgias and myopathies with those two, um, compared to the others. That's not the case with every single patient. It's by no means right something that we have to have set in stone that we can only follow. But um, you know, it is something to consider if you have a patient that's on a torva. Let's say um, you know and you'd want to switch them to a different one. Maybe trying them on rosuvastatin. Um, could potentially help You would
1: stay in that high intensity class yeah exactly yeah and a couple things i don't even think we mentioned why are you worried about myalgias or myopathy not just for a patient's quality of life and them complaining to you every time they come in it's because there's a risk of rhabdomyolysis um rhabdomyolysis one or the other basically you would want to monitor their creatinine kinase levels because what can happen is their muscles can start breaking down they're going to start spilling a lot of protein in their through their kidneys it's going to cause potentially an AKI um, or uh, big issues related to renal dysfunction, and then you know it's gonna cascade from there and you've got problems, so you wanna catch it early. So that's why people, whenever they mention myopathies, you're like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Uh, but a lot of times, it's, the, the rates are pretty low and there are things you can do to decrease it. So one, you could pull back the dose of whatever you're on, especially if they're on a higher dose, and consider titrating them up slowly. Or, like Mike said, you could switch to something that's more hydrophilic or lipophilic. I think there's a a common misconception that the higher intensities are going to be a higher risk for myopathies. But that's not what high, moderate, and low intensity means. That's all related to the lipid-lowering effect. Nothing to do with the potency of the actual drug in regards to myopathy and myalgias.
0: Yeah, and, and in fact, the one that I always think about for that is the TNT trial. Yeah, where they took a torbostatin ten milligrams and compared it directly to eighty milligrams, and didn't see a difference right. in the uh, myopathy risk. Right. Um. In fact, I think they actually had more patients complaining of myopathies in the ten milligrams, if oh, I remember really? correctly. Um. So it's one of those things that yeah. We, but yet yeah, we all we see the cardiovascular benefits from the higher strength, um, the eighty milligrams versus the ten milligrams. Right. So you know, it's one of those things that I think that, um. We, we, we overemphasize, you know, we're, every student is taught to talk to the patient about the the risk of having these muscle pains, muscle aches. Um, however, we, we fail to realize a lot of times is, you know, these patients will have, especially the older patients, will have body aches, will have certain muscle problems from doing just day-to-day activities, or especially if they start some kind of a new lifestyle management program where they're doing low-intensity exercising even. You know, they're going to have some, some muscle pains. And so it's very, if we scare our patients into thinking that, okay, if you feel muscle pain, that's literally your muscles breaking down, having an having a instance of rhabdo, and, you know, you need to get to the hospital, then it's very easy for people to start making the pain kind of worse than it really is in their head. So, you know, it's something that we need to at least address, but we don't want to oversell the myopathy risk, because it is very low, like Cole was saying, and as far as instances of rhabdo, even lower than that. So there's usually things we can do to kind of combat whether or not the uh, patient has this, this uh, idea that, that the statin is causing this muscle pain in the first place.
1: Right, and like you said, it is still worth addressing. So any any practitioner, they're not just going to completely ignore it, right? but try to tease out whether you really think this is related to the statin and it's totally fine to get some labs and check a ck and if that comes back okay then you're not concerned about rhabdose. So and now we're just focused on them complaining about it about it and what can we do there it's so like we said pull back the dose you could even go to not even everyday dosing a few times a week to whatever they tolerate and then increase slowly from there uh, to a point where they can tolerate the statin especially if they're indicated for a high intensity statin then you really want them on that higher intensity statin to get it lower or if they're not necessarily and you could switch to a moderate intensity like pravastatin that might be a little lower risk, um, then that's a consideration. Another one that's low risk is like fluvastatin, but fluvastatin is basically a low intensity statin, pretty wimpy as far as lipid lowering goes. So the ones that I really think about, my favorites are really atorvastatin or suvastatin because they have moderate and high intensity dosing. So if you decide that you don't necessarily want them on a high intensity yet, Just need a moderate, that's up to you. Um, But you can start them at that moderate intensity and then titrate up if you want. But there are situations where you would want to just go for the high dose, and I think that's totally fine too. Uh, Simvastatin is also fine, but that one, even though it's the highest dose you can get is a moderate intensity, is associated frequently with myopathy and has a lot of drug interactions. And then, of course, there's pravastatin, which we'll talk a little bit later on, but you might consider in your post-75 uh, Year-old patients, yeah,
0: and y- the other thing to consider is, and this is just kind of a, a tactic, if you will, but if you're if you're worried about, you know, that this patient's probably going to. Um, Bring up the fact that they're having my- myalgias, things like that, um, or just really in general, because I kind of come at, come at this in g- as a general approach. But, you know, with the TNT study, for instance, we saw a in 10 and a in 80. There was no starting the patient on a torvacetin 40 and then titrating up. They jumped right to the uh, 80 milligram right. dose. And so... And there's other instances of this, for instance, like a post ischemic stroke. We see that with a sparkle. They started right at a atorvastatin 80 milligrams. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's other instances like that where we've jumped right to higher intensity. Um, the the thing to consider is, at least this is, I don't have good data to back this up. This is more just like kind of my opinion on it. But it seems a lot easier to put a patient on a torva 80 and then say, hey, guess what? We're actually going to cut your dose in half because you're having these muscle pains, we're gonna give her those muscle pains, you're gonna take half the dose you were before. So you're only doing forty milligrams now. Right. That's that's very reasonable in the patient's mind. You know, eighty down to forty seems like a big jump. But the opposite is true if they're doing okay at forty they know that one of the potential side effects is muscle pains, things like that. They won't want to go up. And yeah, to say, hey, I'm going to double your dose now just sounds worse than a lot of people, um, especially if they're not familiar with the meds or just taking them because, you know, you've told them they can cut down their chances of having a heart attack or stroke in the future. Then, you know, cutting in half is always easier than doubling, I think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that may not work for everyone, but.
1: Yeah, and it is counterintuitive to most medications that we think of, but definitely post-stroke, you want to hit them with that big one. Um, but just in general, it, it seems completely reasonable. There's no reason not to. It's not like it's recommended against. And there's no, not really any good trial studies that say we need to titrate this slowly or you're going to have more issues. So, yeah, go go bigger at home with statins. I like that.
0: Yeah. And a lot of like so like a statin, really our data that is... Our good outcome data is with 80 milligrams. Yeah, we don't really have anything.
1: With, mortality. We don't have mortality data with 40 milligrams. Yeah. So you know, if
0: we're actually going evidence based, 80 milligrams is what we need to be jumping to anyway. Yeah. So something to consider. Um, so you know, recap. You know, we have starting them on maybe the highest intensity, then backing off. Uh, we have switching them to a more hydrophilic statin if they're on a lipophilic statin, or just switching the statin in general, seeing that how it helps. Um, the other thing is is uh, every other day dosing. Yeah. Um, you know, you could switch to every other day, and at least they're having um, they're getting some of the benefits of a statin um, and, and lowering the chances of having those muscle pains. So you know, those three things are, are all options that we can definitely look at as far as keeping a patient on a statin. But I, I think the the thing that helps me the most when I'm talking to patients about this is explaining the why behind why they have to take it. And I, I briefly mentioned it just a second ago, but you know, when when I have a patient that's taking this, to them LDL is just a number. You know, like it's like, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. They don't feel bad when their LDL is high necessarily. So explaining the whole ten year risk. And I did this this morning with one of my new patients that I'm seeing for um, diabetes education. You know, I you know, we're not. I told him we're not so worried about right now. Like you're, you seem like a young healthy guy now. We want to make sure that you stay this way and stay working, stay active, 20 years from now, 10 years from now, to make sure you don't have a heart attack and stroke. And explain it's the long term that we're actually trying to help. Right. And I think that gives them some more perspective. You know, we want to make sure that you're there for your grandkids' graduation and and all that, and be able to enjoy retirement and um, you know go fishing, whatever it is that they like. You know, I think that um, it's one thing that to tell them, well, we got to get your LDL here. Versus, this is what can happen if I put you on this medication. We can reduce the chances of having a heart attack or a stroke, um, reduce the chances of you know death. I, I just think that plays such a more powerful impact on a patient's psyche, if you will. Versus, hey, take this because I'm wearing a white coat and I told right. you to.
1: And and we'll talk just in a second about statin benefit groups and who you want to go ahead and definitely start statin therapy in. But one trick I use for smoking cessation is uh, incorporating the ASCVD risk calculator. So if you explain what somebody's... You don't have to use those words ASCVD risk. You're, you pretty much always say your risk of having heart attack or stroke. Patients can relate to that. And you you can put a number on it. Over the next 10 years, this is your risk and th- because you're smoking. And then if you recalculate it without them smoking, then obviously it's not, you know... Perfect, but you can say you can decrease your risk this much just by quitting smoking. And I think statins, you can put whether they are or aren't on a statin. And I feel like it, it might affect the calculator in a similar fashion, right? So the
0: newest calculator you can. Right, the newer um, one. We used to not have that. And then, like when the Million Hearts study came out and all that, um, they did redo the ASCVD risk calculator. Um, there's an app for it now. And um, they also they added whether or not the patient was on a statin currently. Um, and then also whether or not they're on aspirin yeah. therapy. So those two things, they weren't in there before. And so we, we would get this percentage of, of or risk percentage, but we never knew if that was accurate or not because right. they were currently on a statin. Um, you know, We couldn't really judge that, so now we can. But right. yeah, that's available to download as an
1: app. So I haven't tested it out yet, but maybe adding or taking off the statin makes a significant difference in their risk. And that's something that you can show them tangibly Absolutely. to say, hey, if we started this, then this is helping you this much and so people like that but as far as who you should start a statin in um, there's a little bit of confusion because it's really not super recent anymore but the lipid levels aren't as important and so you hear people throwing that around they say lipid levels don't matter lipid levels don't matter and they definitely don't matter as much but it's mainly for a goal lipid level that you're shooting for So you don't need to decrease it below, let's just say 60, and then you're good to go. So we don't have to increase your statin dose anymore. But how high your lipids are does matter, and it might play a role into whether you're indicated for a statin or not. So the big one is the 2013 ACC AHA guidelines. They um, put out four main statin benefit groups, people who you should start a statin in for sure. One is patients who have clinical ASCVD, atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, so if they've had um, a prior stroke or they've had a heart attack, um, I think that coronary artery disease counts to potentially um, either way. If they've had an event, then they are indicated for statin therapy. And we talked about potential dosing, like just hitting them with a the high dose at first and stuff like that. Number two is patients with LDLs greater than 190. So pretty much anybody who has an LDL greater than 190 is actually indicated for a statin. The last two are actually age-specific, so it's patients 40 to 75 years old. Uh, The first one is patients who have an LDL uh, of 70 to 190, um, and they have diabetes. So basically, that's pretty much anyone with diabetes who doesn't have just like a rocker LDL. Um, And I think that you would pretty much at this point, we're recommending statins for everybody who has diabetes. Um, For the most part. So that's number three. Number four is also 40 to 75 who don't have diabetes, but their 10 year ACVD risk is greater than 7.5%. So that's where the calculator comes into play. And those are the four main categories for those 2013 ACCHA guidelines. So it's not, there's not any goal LDLs there. It's just how high your LDL is might be a factor into whether you're indicated for statin or not.
0: Yeah. And and so, And and those guidelines are honestly like the ones I'm a bigger fan of. um, And I know a lot of clinicians have kind of incorporated that. But uh, there is another side of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, for instance, like the ACE guidelines have have actually just were updated in 2017. And um, one of the things that they were, they kind of brought back into the mix was these goal LDLs again. Um, They broke it down into your your risk factor stratification if you will and so they they gave specific ldl goals depending on what your risk was of having an event um and so for instance you know back in before the 2013 update you know we we used to look at patients who if you were on a medication like a statin, you were trying to get your LDL below 100. Unless you were at severe risk, then you were below 70. We use like Framingham risk and and all that. And then when the ASCVD risk calculator came out, a lot of people kind of switched to that and switched to the guidelines. Where like Cole was saying, we don't really follow set LDL goals. So with the ACE guidelines, they they brought back some of the similarities. For instance, if the, if the patient is considered um, risk, or they actually listed as high risk. Um, so if a patient has diabetes or CKD um, stage three or four with no other risk factors, um, if they have, you know, they don't have either of those, but they have two risk factors and a 10-year risk of 10 to 20 percent, somewhere in that range, then the uh, LDL goal is less than 100. Now they, what they added was they they brought back the very high risk. Um, which was less than 70, and they give you know criteria to meet that. Um, but what they added it was actually an extreme risk, <laughs> and uh, they said that if you have progressive ASCVD after you've already achieved an LDL of less than 70, um, if you have established clinical cardiovascular disease in patients that also have diabetes, CKD, um, you know, the, then we want to drop their LDL to less than 55. So, you know, this is something that kind of came about as a result of the, like, PCSK9 data finally coming out. Um, the Improve It with um, Zetia coming out. You know, th- there's a lot of, I guess, debate around these trials in the first place. The, uh, like, the Fourier trial with um, Rapatha, the PCSK9 inhibitor, you know, that's, we, we definitely saw a decrease but whether or not that decrease was substantial enough to justify the cost, um, you know, that's definitely debatable. And then there's some other factors on... A
1: decrease in LDL or decrease in mortality?
0: decrease in LDL, I believe, Fourier, I'll have to double-check myself on this, but I believe Fourier did show...
1: I think it did, but um, wasn't that added on to Added on to a statin. Right, which so, is generally not done. It's usually people are on those PCSK9s because they're intolerant to statins. And so there's actually not really any actual data to support that, that at this point. Yeah. So
0: but yeah that's you know those, those new guidelines that's that's one of the big arguments i've seen against them and one of the first things i noticed was you know some of the lead you know authors on these guidelines were all people that were directly benefiting you know necessarily you know financially from uh companies like they're making zedia and these you know in Rapatha. so yeah. it, you have to kind of look at that for you know what it is, and I'm not saying that they're wrong, or not saying that it doesn't have some benefit. Um, obviously, it does. Are, are a lot of times nature, you know, human nature. You want to see a goal of some things. So you can see if you're getting close to that goal versus this arbitrary number, and we're just kind of waiting to make sure an event doesn't happen. Right. Um, that's definitely a little bit harder to judge, and I, I totally get the the want of a goal of some kind.
1: Right. Um, and and interestingly, patients want that too. You'll see a lot of patients, and they'll they'll ask what their LDL is and they are kind of especially older ones are more familiar with those old guidelines and so they want to see they want to have a goal LDL so they can oh my LDL is good so I'm fine and so it, that makes it a little more difficult to increase say a statin dose if someone's definitely indicated for a high intensity statin at that point point. and I, I think the whole point of, of what we're saying here is that a lot of the benefit mortality benefit cardiovascular benefit from these statins isn't about an LDL level per se, even though we know that high LDL levels are related to mortality, um, the lower you go, it doesn't necessarily matter. It's about being on these statins and being on the high intensity doses that has benefit. So that is to say, can your LDL become too low? At this point, there's not any data to say no. It, it, it can go too low to where there's risk. So yeah. there's really not a concern there right now either. And we've seen,
0: I've personally seen patients their are LDL in the teens, mm-hmm. so... And they were doing just fine.
1: Yeah, so get your HDL above your LDL, and look at there. You're yeah. you're doing pretty good. Crushing it. Yeah. So you know, I think that uh,
0: it's definitely one of those things. There's a lot of debate, and a lot of people that are much smarter than than we claim to be, um, debating around whether or not these are good um, guidelines versus the American College of Cardiology guidelines from 2013. So you know, I think it's just one of those things. It's personal preference, and Depending on the patient as well, like Cole said, whether or not you need to follow these goals. Um, but the, the other thing is, if we have to measure um, adherence, and I think Cole touched on this too, but there's definitely a reason to pull pull levels um, and check uh, LDLs if we think the patient may actually not be taking the medication right. to begin with. Definitely uh, a good idea to get an LDL right and and, kind of see.
1: And, and I mean, if they're If their LDL is, which generally the idea is that if they're on these higher intensities, their LDL is going to be fine. So it's really going to be below those, you know, quote unquote goals anyway. So it doesn't really matter. But yeah, if somebody is on a statin and they are just not having much lipid lowering like that you would expect, then maybe they're a special case and you might consider something different, not necessarily a specific um, LDL goal, but if they're still in like the 120s or 150s or whatever, even though they're on the highest dose of statin. Yeah, maybe we consider adding on a PCSK9 in that instance um, if it's relevant. And I've actually seen, so for prior authorizations with PCSK9s, a lot of times they will say, okay, is this patient either on a highest highest intensity statin, but they're not at their LDL goal, or um, are they intolerant to statins? So in that case, you may actually have to bring out those LDL goals again to justify this to the insurance company because they want you to specify something like that; otherwise, they're not going to pay for a PCSK9. So, if you think that it's indicated in that patient, you may have to, you know, finagle the evidence a little bit to get the insurance companies to pay for it. Yep. So, you know, let's kind of
0: uh, you want to just run through just some of the trials. We've already talked about some of the trials, yeah. But, run through. Um, you know, some of the other ones that have kind of come up along the ways. Um, you know, one of the th- one of the trials I always think about is uh, cards. That was um, patients with diabetes um, that were started on atorvastatin 10. And right around that same time was the TNT. So, you know, that's where we kind of get the idea of high-intensity for patients with diabetes because we know that they benefited from having um, the, the CARDS trial showed there was a benefit of having this atorvastatin 10 milligrams. Well, there was also a big chunk of patients in the TNT trial who also had diabetes. And so if we know they benefited from 10 then we know that 80 was better than 10 in TNT. We can kind of uh, deduce, obviously, that patients with diabetes would uh, do better with the uh, higher intensity. Um, we mentioned Prosper was provostatin. Did
1: we say an age group? I don't think we mentioned Prosper. yet.
0: Did we not mention Prosper?
1: I, I threw out, you know, I kind of teased it, but we didn't actually mention it. So, so Prosper <sighs> was. I know. I know. Got to keep them. Got to keep them interested. <laughs> <right>? I'm interested. <laughs> So Prosper, so I mentioned the statin benefit groups were mainly 40 to 75. So if you calculate an ASCVD risk and you try to plug in somebody who's over 75 or below 40, it's going to tell you if they don't meet the age category to really calculate a true ASCVD. Same with the statin benefit. And so there was a little bit of concern because we don't have a lot of data with patients over 75 that the lowering in LDLs might increase risk for dementia. So they did the PROSPER trial. It was ages 75 to 82, and they used pravastatin. And basically the result was no difference in MMSE mental status exam scores at the end of the trial in these older patients. So we actually do have data up to 82 years old with statins at this point not past that but we have it up to 82
0: um let's see what else we have uh one of the one of the patient groups that i thought was kind of interesting that did not have benefit with statins was um, patients with type 2 diabetes that were undergoing hemodialysis um, this is a trial from back in 2005 called the 4d trial the new england journal of medicine um, and they had they actually showed harm uh, when you added atorvastatin 20 versus placebo in patients who were undergoing hemodialysis. So, um, and the harm was specifically seen in non-fatal MI or, or, I'm sorry, not, um, in fatal stroke, non-fatal MI was not significant. Yeah,
1: definitely something to consider. And also, um, hemorrhagic strokes. So post hemorrhagic stroke. Yeah. From sparkle. From sparkle. We we don't, we don't like the statins there either. Just ischemic.
0: Um, but you know, we have, we have a lot of, a lot of data going way back, um, the uh, HPS study with Simvastatin uh, showed some showed benefit. And um, we just have uh, a lot of data that kind of backs up our use. Um, not nearly as much with some of the other agents, which is why you've kind of seen a lot of them fall off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for instance, with uh, things like gemfibrozil, uh, you know, we had the big trial that we'll, we do see is the VA HIT. Um, it showed some benefit with gemfibrozil compared to placebo, um, but definitely more side effects, uh, with gym and then, um, interactions, things
1: like that. Interactions specifically with statin. So if yes. you add that onto a statin, you're going to have a much higher risk of myopathies and rhabdo. Absolutely. So that should not be done.
0: Yeah. Look for that as well. Yeah. Um, but niacin, um, I think the one of the trials that shows like outcome data was like back in the sixties.
1: Yeah. Oh, we had such high hopes for, for poor niacin, but it just did not pan yeah. out.
0: Unfortunately. Um, but there's still a lot of people
1: taking it. Same there with the, the omega 3s. And
0: the study with niacin was actually done with regular, like immediate release niacin. It wasn't the it was it niacin span? That's release? That's super whatever. expensive. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm it's not. It's good
1: to decrease the flushing and all that.
0: Um, you know, with Zedia, we, we did finally, after uh, the first part of the trial, did not show any benefit. But um, as the trial continued on, um, we did see some some uh, benefit with azetamide uh, during the IMPROVE-IT trial. um, The problem is it took about seven years to actually show benefit. um, And the number needed need to treat with a composite for that was 50. Um, They compared it directly to simvastatin alone um, versus azetamide with simvastatin. And so the problem with that also is what would happen if we compared it to atorvastatin alone? Would we really see the benefit there? Um, we don't know. Obviously, they're not going to do that study because Vitorin doesn't have Atorvastatin in it. Right. Um, but that's something to to consider. Um, there's this, like the bile acid uh, sequestrants, you know, not really used all that much anymore either. Um, some data there. Uh, Mediterranean diet has shown some data, but overall, you know, the the big thing is the statins. If we keep getting more and more data with statins. It's it's definitely heavy in that range as far as how much outcome data we actually have and that kind of justifies the guidelines pushing pushing those over others yeah
1: Yeah. last thing i wanted to mention was about the myopathies going back to those so i see a lot of patients asking me about coq10 they'll see it on the tv the doctors will recommend it Uh, and basically what's happening with statins is that they do deplete your natural stores of coenzyme q10 Um, and so the idea is that this might actually lead or attribute to the myopathies and so they'll supplement the coq10 but at this point there really isn't data to support that most of the trials show that it does increase levels of coq10 but doesn't necessarily decrease myopathies there was one really small trial with about 30 patients over about 30 days and the supplement of coq10 compared to a supplement of vitamin e which i also don't recommend because it increases your risk for colon cancer i think anyways that's a different story um, compared to supplement with vitamin e did lower their pain scores and their their, uh, complaining about pain. But that was really small, and it's really hard to extrapolate from that. And it was only over 30 days, which doesn't really even make sense that this short-term supplement with CoQ10 would actually decrease um, their pain. No change in CK levels or anything like that. So at this point, there's really not enough evidence to support that. But if the patient can afford it and you're not concerned about pill burden. And it's going to maybe help with any psychosomatic symptoms or complaints about it. If that's what you're suspecting, then sure. There's no issues with taking it, no interactions or anything, right? And coq10. That, so
0: that's the ubiquinone is the yeah proper like the chemical name for that, right? right? And that's I guess uh, I'm trying to look. I was trying to look it up real quick while you were talking, <laughs> but that's the. Uh, if I remember correctly, that's like. Uh, part of the process in the electron transport chain for producing atp ubiquinone so if you use that up you're not getting as much energy in the muscle cells and start getting some pain
1: sounds pretty good to me okay so that's the theory
0: somebody uh who's molecular biologist is like (laughs) (laughs) losing their mind right now that was the dumbest explanation (laughs) i've ever heard uh i didn't google fast enough yeah anyways um you know one of the other uh one's to touch on too um as far as rosuvastatin so most of the trials you you look at are dealing with the um one of the outcome trials that has a uh, rosuvastatin um is uh Jupiter yes so if you are yeah. um wanting to see some data with rosuvastatin we won't go through, all the way through that but it was rosuvastatin 20 um versus placebo and they were looking that's outcome data they were looking at a uh, composite of non-fatal um, non-fatal stroke and uh, mortality i believe um or it might have been a first major cv event one of those two but um there was a difference between the uh, rosuvistatin versus placebo so we actually have some outcome data with that um but yeah any other like big studies that like we need to at least mention so people can rush home and
1: go look up that's all i can think of except for the scandinavian simvastatin survival study or whatever it is the 5s study i'm not super familiar with it i just know the name because i remember dr worth saying it a whole bunch but oh the 4s 4s yeah Scandinavian
0: simistatin survival yeah that's right the name.
1: boom that was lancet
0: 1994 <laughs> that
1: was like one of the original okay statins are beneficial trials basically and oh. it was with simistatin
0: i think and i think hps was done similar like around that same i can't remember when that was done it might have been later than that but it's another like it was like the biggest study i think um Done with outcomes and all that, yeah. but yeah, 1994, good year. Yeah, wait, wait, you say
1: 1994? Yeah, that
0: was the the 4s was 1994. Yeah. That was also my birth year, so that was a pretty good year. Gosh, you're young. Oh, I feel
1: uh, super old. I'm dating myself now.
0: He's 12. <laughs> so yeah, that's cool. 1994, crazy. Yep. We've gone gone quite a bit, quite quite a bit of a leap forward from uh, yes. where we once had one trial. Yep. <laughs> But um, so yeah, that's some statin therapy, and we will we'll actually talk more about like individual trials and you know, kind of go a little deeper. Um, we just wanted to give an overview, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, kind of break them down a little bit.
1: So that's that statin, some of that I feel like we had talked about before, but I I'm could, sure we have. I could not remember where at all. I think I've even brought up that whole CoQ10 thing before, but I can't remember. Well, now that we're
0: about seventy six episodes deep, <laughs> right? I can't remember what we've can't talked about. Can't remember what we did. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I think this is
1: episode
0: depending on when we post it, right. <laughs> we'll be either 18 or 19, something like that. Yeah. So awesome. yeah, we're not, not that far yet. Yeah. You'd think I could remember right here. <laughs> two months ago, <laughs> two months ago. Yeah, cool. But all right, well, we will uh, keep posting content. You guys keep letting us know uh, what you want to hear and definitely appreciate all the support. And uh, the ratings on iTunes has been fantastic. Yeah, we really awesome. appreciate it. Um, but, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, please let us know what we can do to improve. And if you have any questions, want to be in the show, something like that, we will definitely take that into consideration. Right. We're taking applicants. We'll
1: evaluate your application. <laughs> it's a grueling. We, we just need a 10-page essay and yeah. an interview process with our panel of experts. Oh, my gosh. And... I would get through
0: a half a page of that and be like, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Let them in. <laughs> oh, so, man. yes, we will uh, keep – we're going to hopefully – kind of hit the ground running here soon with uh yeah. we got some guests lined up that you know we have to actually set like set dates for and all that but we have some people that have said they want to do it where
1: uh, we can't just text them the morning of and be like want to record yeah like we do <laughs> right.
0: zero prep work yeah but uh if you can't tell right but uh yeah so i'm pretty excited about it. some cool stuff coming up but yeah thank you guys so much for listening we really appreciate it and uh, we will hopefully keep trying to improve it and make it more beneficial for you But let us know what we can do. Thanks. Y'all have a great rest of the day.